Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. On today's episode, Dr. Daniel Arman is coming in strong with a very punchy and impactful topic launched on January 1st. Very relevant. He joins us to discuss how to end mental illness. And having seen over 80,000 brain scans in his time, he's got a credible and unique perspective on the matter. So over to you, Dr. Arman. What mental illnesses have you seen at their worst and then had sort of a miraculous turnaround? Do you have any stories to share from, you know, patients, obviously confidentially, but, you know, the the kind of things you've seen that can give some insight into, I guess, this concept of ending mental illness? Well, my hero story is uh, I started imaging in 1991, got no end of grief from my colleagues because it's not what psychiatrists are supposed to do. And that confused me because most psychiatrists even now go, imaging is the future, imaging and genetics. And so I was doing it and in a responsible way, in a legal way, in an ethical way, and so excited about it. But then I got all this pushback, which made me anxious and upset. And then in 1995, I got a call from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me that my nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, who's also my godson, attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day for no particular reason, out of the blue. And I'm like, wow, what else is going on with him? And she said, Danny, he's different. He's mean, he doesn't smile anymore. I went into his room today and found two pictures he had drawn One of them, he was hanging from a tree in a suicide attempt. The second picture, he was shooting other children with a gun. And in retrospect, Andrew was Columbine or Sandy Hook or Parkland, Florida waiting to happen. But by 1995, I already scanned about a thousand people And I knew that violence often correlated with problems in the left temporal lobe. And so they brought him eight hours away to come see me at one of our clinics. And when we scanned him, he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space of his left temporal lobe. And when I got a neurosurgeon to drain the cyst, his behavior completely went back to normal. And it was really at that moment I lost my anxiety about what you thought of me. Because quite frankly, I just didn't care anymore. Because if you don't look, you don't know. But wholesale around the world, psychiatrists are making diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data and then prescribing medications that change your brain without any biological data. It's just insane. And so since that time, 25 years ago, I've really been a warrior for brain imaging, brain health, and behavior is just much more complicated than most people think. It's easy to call people bad, 
it's harder to ask why. What are the main causes of mental illnesses that you've diagnosed and seen over the years? Well, I think some of the big surprises from imaging is if you go, hey, Daniel, single most important thing you've learned from 160,000 scans, mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives and nobody knows about it. Um, brain is soft, about the consistency of soft butter. Your skull is really hard and has sharp bony ridges. Your brain runs everything, how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you get along with other people. Damage the brain, you damage someone's life. Undiagnosed brain injuries are a major cause of suicide, depression, panic disorder, incarceration, and homelessness. There's a study from Toronto that says 58% of the homeless men, 42% of the homeless women had a significant brain injury before they were homeless. But yet in the homeless discussion and the problem of homelessness, we're not talking at all. I mean, they talk about housing and they talk about nutrition and they're not talking at all about brain function, that if your brain's not working right, it's really hard, especially in a place like London or Newport Beach, where I live, to have affordable housing. I mean, you need to make good decisions. And when the decision maker in your body, your brain is hurt, your decisions aren't as good, which means your money's not as good, your health is not as good, your relationships are not as good. So how, I mean, just to summarize, I suppose, because I was going to ask, what are the main cures? But it sounds to me like, in a sense, you know, information is power in this reality, right? As in the ability to know if you have uh, a trauma or not is so important. Well, know better, do better. The prescription is we should start looking at the brain just like we look at hearts. I mean, we screen virtually every other organ in the body except the most important one, your brain. And then brain health is really three things. It's brain envy, you gotta care about it. Avoid anything that hurts it. You just gotta know the list. The American Cancer Society just came out. In fact, I did a blog on it yesterday that exploded. The title of the blog was, I told you so. Alcohol is not a health food. They actually recommended people don't drink because it's a major risk factor for cancer. Well, it's also a major risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, and it's a major risk factor for divorce and bankruptcy and domestic violence and having a car accident. So the idea that you should have, you know, one or two glasses of red wine a day is just dumb. And I learned that from our imaging work. I mean, I have no dog in the fight, except I hate things that make your brain look older than you are. And I suppose, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, to use the psychedelics word set and setting, it's a lot easier when you live in California and the culture there is less around drinking, a lot more complicated when you're in busy cities like New York or London or Paris, where it's just so baked into the culture. Um, so in that sense, I think it's, it's really important to have uh, more cheerleaders like yourself, you know, championing the cause to make people aware that it's really genuinely bad for you, even in potential moderation. Uh, in your experience, what, what have been some of the most troubling misdiagnoses? Have you seen many of those? So many. And I wrote a blog recently on bipolar disorder is the new fad. So 
ADD has been a fad for a long time, and we'll talk about that. But so many people get the diagnosis of bipolar disorder when, in fact, they have the results of a past brain injury. And so they have mood instability, irritability, temper problems. Bipolar disorder isn't the issue. It's we need to repair their brain. Because when you get a diagnosis like bipolar disorder, it implies a lifelong course of medication. And, you know, I just have heartburn with that. You've made that diagnosis with no biological data. And that, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Schizophrenia, if you take a map of the United States and you look at the highest incidence of schizophrenia, it's the Northeast, the North Midwest, and the West Coast. But then if you overlay a map of the highest incidence of Lyme disease, an infectious disease from deer ticks, they're almost identical. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who has schizophrenia has Lyme disease, but if you're in one of those areas, you should probably be tested for it. And with COVID-19 and the end of mental illness, I talk about if you wanna keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And I have a mnemonic called Bright Minds. Well, the second I in Bright Minds is immunity and infections. And infectious disease is actually a major cause of, quote, mental illness. But if your brain's assaulted by a virus or a bacteria or a parasite, odds are you're going to have what looks like a mental illness, but it's not mental. It's an invasion of the brain. And we know now COVID-19 can get into your brain and wreak havoc in your brain health. I mean, it's the perfect time to ask, but how do we end mental illness and please do treat us to your mnemonic? Well, we end mental illness by creating a revolution in brain health, where we love our brains, we avoid things that hurt them, and we do things that help them. And Bright Minds is basically B is for blood flow, low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease, but it's also associated with ADHD, depression, and schizophrenia. R is retirement and aging. When you stop learning, your brain starts dying. I is inflammation, a major cause of anxiety and depression and pain. G is genetics, this stuff runs in families, but genes aren't a descent. What they should be is a wake-up call to get healthy. H is head trauma, as we discussed. T is toxins, so yes, alcohol, but also things like mold and carbon monoxide, general anesthesia, and all sorts of things that can damage the brain. M is mind storms, abnormal electrical activity in the temporal lobes, I, second eye is immunity infections, N is neurohormone disorders, D is diabetes. It's a worldwide epidemic of being diabetic and overweight. I published three studies as your weight goes up, the function of your brain goes down, which should scare the fat off anyone. And S is sleep-related disorders are so common, a cause of brain health issues. And what is, in your opinion, uh, nutrients and nutrition factor into this? Well, in so many of them that 
if you want to increase blood flow, beets, cayenne pepper, rosemary, oregano help. If you want to decrease aging, you have to make sure your iron is not too high. This is where red meat becomes an issue. Inflammation is processed foods and sugar and foods that quickly turn to sugar. Toxins, uh, um, fast food is just loaded with toxins and obviously diabetes. And did you know that belly fat? So I'm like, why? Do, I don't know if this is true in London, but it's truly here in the US that we have so many pregnant men in this country. It's like, you know, with the big pot bellies, it's like, dude, deliver the baby. It's still bad here. Increases five of the 11 risk factors. Belly fat decreases blood flow to the brain. It increases inflammation. It takes healthy testosterone and flips it into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms of estrogen and fat stores toxins. So, you know, just being overweight is more likely to give you mental health challenges because it's damaging your physiology. So just to summarize, what would you say are your top three tips for ending mental illness if you had to pick three? Well, the first one is this little tiny habit I love. When you go to make a decision in your day, just ask yourself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you can answer it with information and love, love of yourself, love of your mission, love of your family, you'll start making better decisions. Before you go to bed at night, I mean, what I do is I say a prayer and then I go, what went well today? And by doing that, where you bring your attention always determines how you feel. I actually set my dreams up to be more positive. And then I think all of us should be taking simple supplements like vitamin, have an epidemic of low vitamin D. There's some evidence that COVID-19 is more virulent for you if your vitamin D levels are low. And omega-3 fatty acids, there are just lots of correlative studies on low omega-3 levels and high levels of depression. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time.